The podcast you're about to listen to is part of the Professional Casual Network. To find more podcasts like this, please check out professionalcasual.com. The Professional Casual Network has gear. Check out teespring.com slash store slash professional casual for fresh new swag. A huge shout out to our sponsor, beardeddragongames.online. Pick up all your local game store goodness from Magic the Gathering, Dungeons and Dragons, Pathfinder, or Wafurp 4th Edition, as well as Terrain, paints, board games, comics, and more. Make sure to use code PROFESSIONALCASUAL at checkout for free domestic shipping or PCME10 for 10% off your total order at beardeddragongames.online. Also, a special thanks to Built Bar for sponsoring the show. To get 10% off your order and to help support the show, use code PROFESSIONALCASUAL at checkout or use the link in the show notes. So, hey, stop me if you've heard this one. The waitress walked up to me and said, how did you find your steak, sir? I looked at her very calmly and I said, it was easy. I just looked next to the potatoes and there it was. promised people I was going to change this. Hey, so if you're listening to this episode, you, we've reached the point where we have reached the critical mass of there are, there's more than one lady that listens to this show, Brady. Can you believe it? So we're going to switch this up. We're going to say, hello, arachnids. It's me. It's Dr. D. It's your host, Dr. T to the D with the D's and all the D's. And I'm reaching out through the supervision free source of infinity interfacing. I'm joined today by my partner in infinity, B to the T, Brady T. How's it over there in the universe of knowing that more than one female listens to this podcast, brother? Well, I know one of them is not my partner, so, you know, uh, so we're going to hit the floor and we're going to do the dinosaur. <laughs> I don't know what that means in relation to what you said. Today on Arachne, <laughs> we're going to talk about a book, like a like a big old, a big old nerd. You know what I'm saying, Brady? We're going we're gonna to talk about Aftermath, the latest ma- manga. Believe it or not. Dr. D and Brady T both know how to read if it's got pictures involved, but we should do business first. Arachne is a part of the Professional Casual Network. If you would like to support the network, please sign up for our Patreon or purchase some hot swag at streamlabs.com at Professional Casual Work 1. Boys, believe it or not, I finally did it. I made a Facebook page. There is a Facebook group that is called Arachne and Infinity Podcast Community. Join it because right now, if you're listening to this as of the time it comes out, we have started a poll for a muscle mommy voting sheet for the next shirt that's gonna, that I'm going to actually have commissioned with my own money because I love all you guys. I love the Arachnids so much. I'm going to pay for the art and I'm going to get the whole shirt started and we're going to make it, but it's going to be a Women of Infinity shirt. And on this shirt, I'm actually going to let you guys vote on who's on it. So probably in about a month, I will close it down and uh, get rid of the document. But whichever, probably like four or five characters that comes up in the voting, I'll probably put on the shirt. Swagatha is already on there because that's my favorite. And I'm also going to put Shona. I'm going to put Shona and Swagatha on them because those are my favorite females in the Infinity Universe. So if you vote for them, just know that that's a vote wasted. And good for you. (laughs) 
Uh, all right. We are also sponsored by Frontline Gaming and would love if you use the link in the show notes to go purchase tickets for any of their upcoming events. It really does help us out. The next big event for Frontline Gaming will be the Las Vegas Open. It's a really good fun time out in Vegas. Go have fun. And of course, there is an Infinity event at that one. At least there was last year. I did look at it. Actually, some of the people I knew were over there from Albany. So shout out to those guys. Maybe you'll see us. I don't know. I probably won't go this year, but who knows? I went last year for 40K and had a really good time. Slightly hampered by I was unemployed at the time. So it was definitely like, oh, I, w- I want to do all the things. Well, I guess gambling will have to wait. It, it's it's a lot of fun if you can get out to LVO, even if you can't or don't want to do one of the big events. Uh, it really is like becoming that really big competitive mecca, so to speak. I will say in comparison, and that's not a downside to it at all. I will say that if you go, just understand that it is a really big tournament. It is not so much a miniatures gaming convention. That is Adepticon. If you want the convention, go to Adepticon. If you want, like, just down nose on the on the grindstone, like, tournament play, go to LVO. They're both great. Go to both, actually, but if you want one or the other, that's, that's how you distinguish between the two. We would also like to announce Everwinter. It is coming up. It's less than a month. When this episode comes out, it'll be a few weeks away. It's in the Boston's areas, the Weston Waltham in Boston. It's on December 9th and 10th. There is an infinity event there. If you can go, I highly recommend it. It is an amazing event. It's at a new hotel this time, so hopefully we have more space, which would be really cool. I, of course, am personally sponsored by Monument Hobbies. Please use the code PROFESSIONALCASUAL in all caps. When you go to checkout, you'll get a Swifty, a Swift, you'll get Swifty, you're going to get a little Swifty discount. And then when you use it, it's really going to help us out. And Arachne will become the most powerful podcast that has ever been created by me in my living room. And of course, we can't forget our sponsor, Mr. Laser at MrLaserSquare.site. He's actually at LVO. So if you go to LVO, walk up to him and be like, hey, he'll know what it means. He's actually going to be really confused. Don't worry. Just do it anyway. So today we're going to talk about books. Before we get too deep in the book, do you want to talk about, we were both at, at an event uh, over the weekend. We were. Actually, thank you for that. Uh, I'm stupid, and we even said that we were going to talk about that before we talked about the books. So, we went to Queen's Gambit 3? Uh, yeah, so I believe it's its third one. Because I think I missed one of them. So, we went there. It was a reinforcement event. We sort of mentioned it when I was talking to Derek. It was actually pretty good. It was uh, it was literally a few days ago. It was actually not like a week ago or whatever I said on that episode. We were both there. You made it, Brady. Well done. I, I wasn't LARPing that weekend, so I actually got to play Infinity. So yeah, I had a lot of fun. It is definitely interesting. I have I have moved past my competitive hump, so to speak, you know, from like my competitive 40k days. I just had a lot of fun. I didn't really care about my record. I was just smiling the entire time and trying to have good fun jokes with my opponents. And it was such a different perspective sw- switch that I didn't have in my last Infinity games because I was still working that competitiveness and caring about your record out of your system and then saturday was just you know what? i don't care i could crack a beer right now and just have a great time with my opponents which helps that all my opponents were just absolutely fantastic so it should be said i should have said this before but it kind of does lead into what we're saying all these little tournaments all add up to generally speaking i guess you could call them like more like regional events but then one of the events that we do up here other than the glorious glorious q free events there's also captain con which I was actually specifically asked, hey, can you announce it? So I would like to announce it now because it does kind of lead into what we're about to talk about. That Captain Con 2024 is in Warwick. It's on February uh, 2nd to the 4th. There's actually multiple Infinity events. 
I don't know if the main event is a two-day. Maybe if it gets enough people, but I don't think they've ever gotten that high yet. But they have a beer affinity thing on Friday, and they have regular event on Saturday. Now, the reason I bring that up is that the guy that's running it was actually at the event we played at. Willem is uh, very well known in the community, and he's the one in charge of all that. The reason it matters is because that this event, we had the biggest swing, if you want to call it that. I don't know what else to call it, where people were in the rankings and places we've like never seen before, which is crazy. Like We had players who were up in the top three who – who have usually been on the lower end, just to put it, to put it nicely. Um, so when we talk about this event, just know that the reinforcement format, I don't know if maybe it just jived with certain people completely differently. And the people that usually do super well, didn't do great. And maybe the reinforcements is exactly what some other people just need in their lives. But it was a great event. I went there, had three great games, absolutely adored every second of it. Just like Brady, I was laughing and hooting and hollering the entire time. And I got to play against Derek, actually, ironically enough, the guest from the previous episode. I stomped him real good. 10 nothing. Take that, nerd. Uh, you're, you're, you're a loser. There, I said it. You're a loser to D. You got D'd, Maurice. How, how did you do? I went one and two. I got mauled pretty hard both my games that I lost. The first game was my dice really wanted me to win. They were giving me armor saves up the wazoo. Uh, like at one point, the opponent looked at me and he's like, well, I'm going to template you. You know I'm going to template you. I'm like, yeah, I'll just make the armor saves and shot him and killed him and made both armor saves and the Unidrons dabbed. That was definitely the game where if I played the mission a lot better, especially on the third turn, I probably could have at least taken a 7-2 loss to a much closer score. But I just really didn't play the mission very well and I learned a lot from that game, which is really, really exciting. My second game, I felt a little bit bad. I think this person was like their 11th or 12th game. So they weren't they weren't capitalizing on some positional mistakes I think I was making. Uh, and I was able to kind of push Umbra up the board and kind of win with, with Umbra. And then the third game, I got absolutely shit stomped. I made a lot of really, really key mistakes in my first couple order activations. Because, you know, that feeling in that third game, you, you kind of go on autopilot for a few minutes. And then it's like, oh, wait, you got you to gotta pull yourself back. The, the thing I loved about that game, though, is Sheskin kind of comes up. Norkius already died. But Sheskin comes up and he's like, oh, I'll just kill your Umbra. The Umbra turns around, cuts Sheskin's uh, head off. Great. Awesome. And so the person just kind of sighs and the speculo killer that was in melee combat with my lieutenant just stabbed him with a monofilament and it's like, all right, we're both in loss of lieutenant. Let's go. And that was the game where reinforcements coming down mattered the most uh, because I both of us had our chain of command in reinforcements. I was six points off of bringing my reinforcements in. I legitimately, he walked up to an Umbra that had one wound left and chain culted it, and I dodged. And I, I actually think the correct answer in that situation would have been idle. Uh, granted, he, if I said idle, he probably would have been like, mm, I'm not going to shoot then because you probably have reinforcements coming in. But it neutered my my second turn because I was in loss of lieutenant. So I, was, I missed a lot of key synergies and being able to push the orders in where I needed them to go. And his reinforcements did come in on his second turn. So he never really was in loss of lieutenant and was able to um, pretty pretty much spank me pretty hard uh, when, when Kodali came down with the reinforcements. So overall, reinforcements for me, it's still weird to me that you can't drop them in exclusion zones. That feels like 
like literally like they, they need to either make those exclusion zones smaller or it's like just let, let reinforcements troopers drop in it, it's kind of insane to me that they don't but it's it's an interesting game mode i just i don't see myself playing it very much unless they make some changes that make it more interesting because the problem i have is you you do a lot of work you have to like rethink how you write lists so it's a lot of squeeze for not a lot of juice that's a good way to put it i think uh what did you place Oh, I don't. Even, I don't even know. I was one and two. I, I, I'm pretty sure I was down like, like fifteenth or something. I was down near the bottom. Uh, I guess it was only sixteen people, so I probably was like twelfth or thirteenth or something. I was, I was down near the yeah, bottom. Yeah, I, I think you were like bottom percentile, but yeah, okay. Um, we should say what the scenarios were. So it was a reinforcement event. Uh, the first one was unmasking. The second one was B pong, and the third one was last launch. So we did two of the new missions, which I guess there were only two new missions. So we just did both of the two missions. All of the missions had exclusion zones, which Jake is, for some reason, just obsessed with only picking missions that have exclusion zones for some reason, which is frustrating. But, you know, whatever it is, it is what it is. I agree. I think the the reinforcements thing is strange. When we talked about reinforcements, I'm going to say we were sort of wrong on what we said because the way it's worded is that the drop pod token itself can come down inside the exclusion zone. The models just cannot be deployed in it, which we had said the exclusion zone is ignored. It is, but only for the drop pod token. The, when you put the models on the table, they have to be within eight of the token, but they can't be in the exclusion zone. Very strange. And it can't be in the other nub on the other side of the table because you can't put the reinforcement thing on the other side of the table. It's only in your half. So it's literally just a forward deploying 16 inches, eight inch bubble thing, I guess. It's kind of strange. Obviously, CB is still trying to work out some of the kinks. They even put out the list of, oh, these are scenarios you should probably play with reinforcements, which clarified some things, which is nice. They're clearly paying attention, but you know, again, it's one of those questions, are, are they doing enough? I don't know. We're not the judges of that, but whatever. So I played. Obviously, I was there too. Uh, I played against Derek in the first round. He was playing TAC. I, I crushed him. My, <laughs> my missile launcher, Riot Girl, I went with Bakunin uh, for that event. Because I've decided that Bakunin will be my army for Everwinter, so i got to get it all painted up, and I need a little practice. When you have visors and you go up against Ariadna, Ariadna would be real sad sometimes, because that mimetism turns out to be not very helpful, because they don't have min 6. They only got min 3. What a bunch of little sillies. And then the second game, I played against Jonah, uh, another local, very well-known painter. He's the one person locally that is a painter in Infinity that makes me uh, actually crawl underneath my bed at night in fear that he might one day take the Everwinter Best Painted uh, award from me. So if he wins, he will be the new host of Arachne. I'm going to just give it to him. Here, I'm saying it right now. Brady, are you ready to work with another person? Yeah, I, I have no attachment to you. If, you're, if your dog wants to hop up real quick and, and, and go, you know. Yeah, good for, yeah, I bet Thor would be a really good host. So, the second game, I also won. It was definitely a case of, he's playing White, Ban- White Banner. White Banner. The one with Harkwood, I think. It's the combination of Pano and Eugene, whatever whatever one that one is. So he had a Guija. I was like, oh my gosh, a Guija. So it runs across, which is the tag, the jumpy tag in Eugene, if nobody knows what that is. So he came running across the table. And the only reason I think I won the game is that the entire first turn, that Guija had so many of my models dead to rights. And just I just passed the armor saves. It's just, it was one of those games where it was like, it didn't matter what he did. His HMG was just full of pellets. And it was just shooting nothing, shooting blanks. And the only models he really were, was able to kill was like a zero and my daemonologist, which was my lieutenant. So my entire first turn, I just didn't move forward because 
when everybody's a regular, you don't want to go anywhere because at that point, you're just going to expose yourself to death. So ironically, I think in a weird way, it worked to my advantage because now he had to come to me. And after the Guija was dead, he didn't have anything that was fast. But because the Guija was the only thing that really died, and by the way, it died on a my Morlock walking up and stabbing it with an EM weapon. It was pretty hilarious. Incredible use of Morlocks, let me tell you. So he essentially couldn't get reinforcements in because I hadn't killed enough because I couldn't even get across the table. In a weird way, it kind of worked to my advantage. And if you go second in B-Pong, I'm going to say, I'm not usually one to take like hard stances on things, but losing B-Pong while going second is real hard. It is extremely hard to lose uh, beer pong if you go uh, if you if you are going second, and there there is way like it you do have a chance if you go first, but like I would I would wager that the numbers would be like seventy five twenty five towards the person taking second turn. The biggest problem is you don't know like if I could pick my list after I knew I was going first in beer pong, uh, I could then pick whatever list I need that is literally just there to do murder. It's going to run up and be as like hyper aggressive. It's it's why I tend to bring the umbra lists into it because if they need to if I'm going at top of the turn, I can just push them as deep into your deployment zone as possible and maybe you won't get to the button or the or the transmitter whatever they actually call it. But even then, uh, you if you win that roll off you're going you're going second like just just go second. Yeah, you won't be sad if you go second, for sure. And then the third game, I went up against Frank. He is also on a podcast. He is on the Dice Abides. He is a very well-known, very good player. We were at top table because we both went into it 2 nothing with pretty good, pretty good, solid wins. And I managed to do it. I, we fought Spiral. I've never actually fought Spiral before. I played a little Toha before, but not Spiral. And I managed to get a tie <laughs> at the top table against Frank. Wonderful. And so I got third in the event because I'm a doofus. And <laughs> I, got a tie. I did table him, though, so that, so that felt really good. And last launch, what a weird mission. Not the biggest fan. I think it's very order-intensive in order to get the key cards and all that. Obviously, the Evo bot thing is very strong play in that scenario, whether you want to do it in like a two-day event because you're going to essentially handicap yourself in some ways by having a list with two Evo bots that you're only going to use for like one scenario if you unless you have like an actual like use for it right it's kind of interesting in a reinforcement event i don't think you can get away with it quite as much just because list building is so constrained you know it's a discussion for another time but i'm not a big fan of the mission i i kind of wish they would get rid of the evo thing just because it's created some unnecessary confusion and it's almost like too easy that if that scenario is going on you're like kind of handicapping yourself to just not bring an evo bot i don't know not a fan I am fine with the Evo bot. I wish that that mission really feels like the exclusion zone should only be the building itself or maybe, you know, a, a four inch strip in the middle. It's that was that mission really feels like one to me where having your hidden deployments and all your ones that can kind of push into the middle and start that scrapping and start that order intensity earlier would feel a lot better because you it really does feel like the mission where it's like you hit your, you know, like your second turn and you're just like, oh. I have, you know, 10 orders left because, you know, I've, I've lost about five models or so, give or take. I have to spend five of it just to get a key card and get someone where they need to be. And it really kind of slows down that that game. And it, it doesn't feel good. I, I just don't think it feels good getting the key cards and handing them off. I thought it was going to. It feels really thematic. 
it's just a, they're like everything's just a little bit too far away. So you're spending a lot of time just walking to a button and then walking from that button into the middle. And I I don't think they need that massive exclusion zone. I think having like you know your uh, your malignos or something that is rewarded for kind of going into the middle, revealing, slamming the button, and then running in would would feel a lot better. Are pulling those buttons a little bit closer to the middle, uh, just so you're not spending as many orders just physically running your models. Yeah, that's a tend to agree. It's it's fine. Whatever. It's just not one I prefer. But yeah, I agree. That's a, that's a. I don't know if they'll ever do an exclusion them like in a in a smaller size. I feel like that's pretty standardized. But yeah, I get what you're saying. Anyway, so I got second, or I'm sorry, I got third. Brady got not third, and uh, it was a great event. Jake did a great job as always. Looking forward to the next one. Hopefully, it's not reinforcements. Please, I prefer my regular games. And funnily enough, as a weird aside, in our local meta. <clears throat> We actually track the New England meta, like who wins tournaments kind of thing. There's like point. It's like people around here like sports, right? They they watch the sports ball and they want to like keep track of like player stats and all that. Right now, I'm king of Massachusetts. Look at that. Look at me. Number one Massachusetts player right here. His name's Doctor D. Maybe he ain't so bad. I will say before we, before we move off the event, uh, it was exciting. It was really great to see everyone with arachnid shirts. Uh, that was it was really great. There's a lot of them. Also, everyone you know saying good and bad things about the podcast. I think everyone said good things to me from from memory, but it was really nice just to you know get that feedback uh, in person. And the last thing is, you finally had some beach pizza. Oh yeah, I guess we'll talk about that's not necessarily a podcast thing as much as just a local Discord thing. We went and had beach pizza. If you don't know what beach pizza is. It's essentially just pizza that's slightly sweeter than normal pizza. It has provolone on it instead of mozzarella. It, it honestly, when I walked into it, I was like, "This is cafeteria pizza." <laughs> what they make in a, in a high school cafeteria. It was fine. It was okay. It was fine. Tripoli's. If you if you get a chance to try it and you want to walk in the steps of Doctor D, go to Tripoli, I guess, or don't. Whatever. I don't care. You're not. I'm not your real dad. I'm just your big daddy. I'm just I'm just your big spider daddy. All right. So anyway. We're going to talk about a book. So Aftermath is the third manga released by CB. I have bought all of them. I have read all of them. I have gotten all the special miniatures in them except for the ones from Outlast. Generally speaking, I will say, obviously, I'm a little biased when it comes to CB products, but I would always recommend you get the book with the model because the models are usually really cool. This Aftermath book, the special edition, or or it might just come with it, because I know Kodali came with the other one. This one came with the Tunguska, uh, I guess you'd call it like maybe like Don Lady. So the book is the third one. I definitely recommend you get the mon- the miniatures with it, or miniature in this case. Uh, there is a character pack coming out later. It is actually the box, I guess if you want to call it that, that's going to contain the Zelen Krieger, which are now in Nomads. They're in a lot of the Nomad lists. They're very good. I am a big fan of them. I think that Reza is a Mukhtar, so that might actually be a really cool uh, model for Hakuslan players out there. I think it, no matter what faction you play, you could probably get something out of this, because even Killjoy is a AI-looking thing, so you could probably use them in something like you know Aleph or whatever. And then most of the characters themselves are actually just Nomad characters. So I think Nomads get the most out of it, but I think everybody can get something out of it, because um, even Ze- um, Denma is Scottish, so you could he could easily be put into like an Ariadna list, which I think he's in. I'm pretty sure Zell himself is in Caledonia. So I, I highly recommend them. They're really good models. As far as I've seen, the paint jobs on the website are kind of, eh, I don't know. I don't know about the paint jobs, but we'll see if I can do any better. But definitely recommend it. Uh, I would like to say 
before we go into spoiler territory. So this is going to be an episode where we're going to talk heavily about the story stuff. If you have not read it and you have any intention of reading it, I will tell you when to stop. But you're going to want to read it first because we're going to hit it hard, or at least I will. So the first book was Outrage. Outrage was written by Victor Santos and, and the artist was Kenny Ruiz. The one good thing about all the stories for the mangas is that Victor Santos has written all of them and each one has a different artist. I should also state that each of the books is also like a different style as a, and according to like the way the book is actually like shaped because the first one is very much like a traditional manga. If you've read like, you know, like let's just say Naruto or Dragon Ball Z, um, if you actually bought that from like a, like a bookstore, um, it reads... Uh, like an actual English uh, book, though, you don't have to go from right to left. It actually does go left to right, which I thought was like a little, you know, little good thing to know. Like, you don't want to, you don't want to read the the ending right before you actually say <laughs> as soon as you open the book. So it's a, I I have liked all of them to varying levels. I will say that I think Aftermath might be my favorite of the three. Outlast is next, and then I think Betrayal was probably the weakest of the three, but it was still okay. You might have a different opinion about that. We're obviously going into opinion territory when we talk about books, but I really enjoyed it. I don't think it was perfect. I think it might be like a flawed, um, I don't want to say a masterpiece by any means, but it's a flawed gem, I guess, if you want to call it that. But it has the advantage of only being essentially one of three mangas, right? So like right now, we're all like little baby birds with our mouths open just for mommy bird to feed us. Give Give me that sweet, sweet gruel, mama. Give me, the, give me that sweet uh, Infinity Lore in a little book, please. So anyway, um, I think overall, it's definitely a big recommend for me. Uh, I'm going to say 5 out of 5 just because I really enjoyed it. It's probably not a 5 out of 5. It's probably like a 4 out of 5. I think it's good. I don't think it's, I don't think it's incredible, but I definitely recommend it. Um, is there any opening thoughts that you have of it, Brady, before we go into spoilers? I am a little bit less high on this book than you are. I'm probably if you do if, you know star rating three out of five on the on the manga. It has a lot of really interesting ideas and a lot of really interesting things that like oh I wonder where they're gonna go with this. But like like we kind of mentioned a lot in End Song is it feels re- like it could have it could have had another ten pages is is kind of my general overall feeling. And you know we kind of talked about uh, you mentioned betrayal. I liked betrayal, but I think betrayal is a like is a worse story but is more it felt more complete and it felt like it told the story it was trying to tell and it feels like this one is telling a much better story that i'm much more interested in but it really fails because it's 10 pages too short it really falls down from that like i really wanted to be invested in certain things and the book really was fighting me on that because it's like no, we're done with that. I, I showed it in one. I showed it in one panel. We're moving on now, and that is like disappointing in, in my in in my opinion. And I think I was like I came out feeling very disappointed because of that. Uh, despite the book's overall quality, like the artwork in this book is absolutely fantastic, and again, the writing is actually pretty solid. So, like overall, if you like Infinity Lore, if you want more of it, I would really recommend picking it up and reading it. I don't think it's you know I think it's thirty ish with the model. Something like that, yeah. It's like fifty. It's like less than fifty bucks. It's not like super expensive, and and again, I think there's some great art in here, and there's some great like things I'll want to come back to in terms of interesting like drawns or story beats. But in terms of an overall like story, story, I, I want like ten more pages. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Uh, when we go over the notes, uh, you're you're gonna hear that a couple times. It's gonna be a, oh, this was super cool, really interesting. Oh, but it didn't kind of it didn't go anywhere because it okay the characters did. 
Oh, look, this is really cool. Oh, okay. I guess we're done with that storyline too. Okay, cool. Bye. Uh, I will say, I think that uh, Pedro Andrio. So yeah, I was talking about the artist. Kenny Ruiz, I loved his art. I thought it was really good. Um, Augustine Graham Nakamura, I think it was probably the weakest of the artists. I don't think it was bad by any means, but I didn't like it as much as the other ones. If I could kind of describe it, it's like more minimalistic um, anime style. While Kenny Ruiz's reminds me a lot of like an Akira, more exaggerated uh, facial stuff. And then Pedro is Kenny on steroids because Pedro's art. If Infinity, hey CB, if you're listening to us, you're probably not. But if you are listening to us, Pedro's your artist. This is the guy you need to have draw all of your books. Like, for real. His art's super great. So even if you're just an art enjoyer, uh, I would recommend just picking it up to look through it. It's really pretty. If this book were to ever become color, if this become a colored manga, I'd buy it again. Because I think, judging by the cover, whoever did the color on the cover did amazing. Like, I love the vibrancies of the reds and the blues and the greens and the you know all that stuff. If the whole book was colored, this book would be insane. Insane to look at. It'd be incredible. Oh yeah, I would I would bump this up immediately to you know what my star rating would immediately go up. Yeah, because the coloring and, you, and again you can see it just in how good the art is with just black and white. But if they did the like the coloring they did on the cover everywhere, it would be so insane. Yeah, it it would actually be incredible. I, I'm easily gonna say I think if, I think it does deserve a three, the book itself, but the art is what made it a four for me uh, because it is so good. So all right, we're we're done we're done touching Pedro's PP. So hey, Pedro, great job on the art. Um, call me. Stop ignoring my emails, please. Okay, so we're going to go into spoiler territory. So if you have not read the book and have any interest in it, doing it spoiler-free, uh, you're going to want to take your radio, rip it out of your car, throw it out the window, or you're going to want to throw your phone out the window or something like that. Anything to stop the next words I'm going to say. Snape killed Dumbledore. Oh, God. Oh, no. It's all falling apart. Yeah. Okay, so in this story, um, it picks up with Uhahu. Now, I have read Outlast. Brady has not. So... I was already introduced to who Uhahu was. I will say that I know each of the artists is going to take creative liberties, but Uhahu looks like completely <laughs> looks completely different. In Outlast, she looks like a little like a little Asian kid. In this one, she looks very non-Asian. <laughs> Just put it that way. So I abs- I really like the exaggerated like anime hairstyle, you know, where it's like the Goku thing where like the hair like sticks off in like these big like spikes, you know what I'm saying? Definitely again, we're going back to the art thing, but I really appreciate the art artistic direction that they went with her. She's much more like interesting to look at. But yeah, she looks way different. So if you read Outlast and then immediately go into this, you're like, whoa, okay. It's like a completely different looking character. But as soon as I opened it, I knew exactly who it was. So if that speaks volumes to the character design the way we're going to do that this is a new format so please give me a heads up if you like this format uh going forward when it comes to book reviews i essentially just wrote notes as i was reading it i read the book twice so the first book the first time i read it was for enjoyment the second time i was taking notes if you like this format or you think a more constructed different format is better please give me a shout out at dr d on discord it's probably the quickest way to get in touch with me but let's start from the top so my first note love the art of just the background stuff happening Looking at people in bars or just walking around while she's walking around on the mothership. It's mostly on Tunguska and on Bakunin. I thought it was really cool just watching people wander around. Yeah, 
I thought it was cool. Background background stuff in this one is top notch, probably better than the other two books, but it's cool to just see like people doing people stuff. I mean, I agree with you on that. Uh, what what helps as well is like I'm not as familiar with all the nomad, you know, beyond seeing some of it and some of the art, and it does really take you into you know what these ships might look like, which is so valuable, especially in these in these universes. I will say, sometimes the background got a little bit too cluttered. And like it could become hard to figure out like where am I supposed to be looking? I don't even want to call that like as a bad thing, just because once you figured it out, it was great and like made make you reappreciate the page. It just could take a second sometimes on some of the more busy straight pages. And most of the time, I would say that there were like three big splash pages. All three of them, there might have been a little bit too much going on. One was when the fighters were being introduced into the Aristea stage. Uh, there was the gunfight at the end, and there was. Um, but like another fight scene with an Aristea thing. I agree. I think that sometimes it was like, there's a lot going on on the page at one time. Again, it wasn't so distracting that it made it necessarily like unreadable, but yeah, I, I tend to agree. Some of the pages, they get a little cluttered sometimes, but I'm not sure that that was a background problem as much as it was just like a, Oh, there's just a lot going on on the page problem. The gunfight specifically, I think is the one I'm really thinking of that was yeah, like, that there's was- a lot of stuff. Stuff, and it's hard oh, to figure yeah. out the flow you're trying to go for but yeah i think that i think that's less about a background and more of just a they put a lot into every single page which is impressive with the black and white yeah 100 percent. next note fun to see aristea being a major factor in people's lives uh like an actual major sport so when aristea the board game came out it was to be perceived as like like a sports event, right? Like major league baseball or whatever except it's like blood you know blood sports <laughs> coliseum or whatever but it was interesting because once Aristea, the board game had kind of like, I don't want to say outstayed its welcome, but once it kind of started leaving the site of like, okay, it's out, it's done, we're not releasing anything for it anymore, people don't really talk about it. So it's kind of, for, it's easy to forget that it exists. It's really cool to see in the setting, Aristea is actually like a major thing. And if you look at the pages where they're actually fighting, all the characters that are in the board game are in, well, not all of them, but a lot of the characters are in it. Um, like Parvati's in there. Um, I think that's Parvati's the only character that in the book that's actually in the game as far as Aristea players. I don't think I saw any of the other ones. I could be wrong. But I didn't see, like, Luna. I didn't see, like, Shona and all that stuff. Again, you may not have even realized that. I didn't. But yeah, Parvati, I think, is the only one that is actually, like, a playable model in Infinity. But all the characters that are in that the fight at the beginning, at least, are characters that are in the board game. Which, at some point, we'll probably talk about the board game. It's actually really, it's a great game. Oh, it's really cool. All right, next note. Uh, enjoy this one. We're going to pass by real quick. Hey, enjoy the style of art in this book. The most so far compared to the other infinity mangas. Hey, there, I already said it. Um, seeing the juxtaposition between the big leagues versus the minor leagues was great. Since the comparison shows the more grassroots of the players in the Aristea, Aristea, um, I guess like lore, I guess in the, in the leagues. So when you're introduced to Denma, he's in a Corregidor like backroom brawl. That is like, just, it's literally like a cage. It looks like a prison, I think it's even like a, it's like a prison room and people go in there and they're just beating the crap out of each other. And Denma smashes somebody's head up against the fence and the crowd just gets like showered in blood and they're all like, ah, they love it. So it's kind of fun to see the minor leagues as in you can't just immediately join Aristea and go straight to like the big league, you know, Hey everybody, you know, the glitz and glamor of all the money. It's at the, there's a CD underground to this sport and there are probably illegal fights, which that probably was. 
Then it kind of goes into a little bit of Uha, Uhahu being like her, a little bit of her motivation. So the one thing I'm going to go as a quick aside, uh, I do address it a little bit later in my notes, but I want to talk about the Baker module. So the Baker module is supposedly where Uhahu's from, and it's why she looks like she it's why she looks like a like a ten year old girl. There's not a lot of lore on this. I wish there was more. Hey, we're going to say stuff like that uh, throughout this entire review. There's not a lot going on. I wanted to make sure that I read the excerpt from Outlast in the spot where the character Noth talks about the, the the other people he's met with the Baker module. We don't know how old the Baker module is. We don't actually know how old Uhahu is, I don't think, that I can remember. But the one thing that Noth says, he says, I've had dealings with the Nomad Nation and I've met some like you before. Your disorder makes you look like kids, but none of you have the eyes of a child. And that's essentially all they say. So I was hoping that they were going to go into that a little bit more in this book. They, Spoiler alert, they don't. Um, so if you're looking for more of that, unfortunately, there's not a lot of it. Uh, it goes into her backstory like a little bit. You get a little bit of Baker module in here. But I think I'm going to say this as of now and just kind of think about it the entire time we're talking about this. I feel like this book is a prequel to something else. Like, I think Pedro, or I'm sorry, not Pedro, Victor has, like, a plan, I'm hoping, for maybe, like, the next manga. Because it feels like this is a prequel information setup for, like, a bigger book, is what I feel like. Much, much, which is why it felt like it was so rushed. Yes, I can, I, I can agree with you on that. It feels like we got dropped into this second movie of a trilogy where they're kind of like, you all know these people, so we don't need to explain anything. And we're going to kind of rush you to an end point. That doesn't feel like a really satisfying, but we're going to get to that. Yeah, it's it's interesting with the, you know, clearly like it's a child who is older, but I, I do have that question of like how old, because the, you know, Ohahu is definitely acts in certain ways very childlike, does not seem to have that, that adult grizzle, I would guess, you know, I'd say like she definitely seems to have certain reactions, especially to the level of violence that she is very much putting herself into, like with the criminal underworld uh, and doesn't seem to really, you know, appreciate that. Like, again, she it's that that thing you see in children, which is the, oh, crime is good. I can get all this cool money and stuff, but not fully understand. It's like, yes. And the violence that they do to each other is comes hand in hand. You can't ever divorce the two. And like in most of these stories, that's like when you see the character becomes an adult is when they kind of have that realization of like, hey, if I'm going to live in this life, I, I take all of it. I can't just pick and choose the, the cool, fun, fast money and the not horrific ways we treat each other. And she hasn't got to that section yet, but it, it definitely seems like she's been around, you know, again, longer. You know, if I had to like throw an age out there, you know, she doesn't strike me as like, oh, she's like 200 years old. She strikes me as like maybe like early 20s but like again looks like a child that's what i was gonna guess i was gonna guess between 20 and 30 somewhere so i know that the baker module they were supposed to be like spare parts they were supposed to be like grown and be like uh i don't know organs i guess organs and body parts and stuff that were supposed to last longer which is why they don't age very quickly but again next note i'll do this real fast pedro's art is exceptionally good at portraying facial emotion and animation we've already talked about his art hey every time somebody's talking their face looks like you know what they're feeling Pretty, pretty easily. It's pretty incredible. Next one. Story moves from topic to topic very quickly. Uhahu's backstory is barely hinted at. Could have used the flashback. Again, just what we were talking about. The Baker module could have used a little bit. Um, they talk about bed bug just a tiny bit where they all grew up and it was like a crap hole. 
and they weren't happy. That's kind of all we learn, and yeah, that's about all we know. Yeah, I will say we get maybe a panel for the backstory of Oha- uh, Oahu's um, two main buddies. Um, you know, the fighter and the uh, big big beastie guy. I cannot remember his name for the life of me. Denma and Ish. Denma and Ish. I think each one of them gives you maybe a panel where they explain why they, you know, why they're going to be able to be recruited, which is disappointing. It's kind of fine, I think, in Ish's case. I wish they did a little bit more with uh, Denma because it feels like they're trying to set up an emotional story. And I don't care. Uh, like, oh, I have family. I want to get to my family. It's expensive. Cool. That resonates. But give me a little bit more to humanize this person. And it's a little bit like betrayal where it feels like, oh, if I go read this person's Wikipedia page, I will be able to have a better understanding of this story and feel a lot more impacted which I'm not sure if I want to knock it because, you know, if I've invested time in Infinity, cool, then I get I get rewarded. But it is it is annoying as someone who's like I've only read two of the mangas so far, and uh, it's a little you a little bit bounce off like oh I didn't I didn't know this person had a model I didn't know like you know they were important enough in the lore to have a have their own model. Now, actually, I should come out and say this: neither one of us have read the books, we, neither one of us have read the novels. We do plan on it, so if there is elaborated lore on the things we're talking about in the books we actually don't know that so if that is the case maybe give us a heads up but don't just realize that maybe we, we might be wrong maybe there is something in any of the books but i don't think the topics in them were uh kind of in this wheelhouse i know i think one of them takes place on bachman but i don't think it goes into the baker module i think that's more like the nuns or something like that like an alif attack or something like that so if that is the case just you know bear with us in that regard but uh yeah so next one next note <clears throat> Gladiator character designs are great for all of them. Uh, you could tell they pull from a very strong Infinity IP. So all the gladiators feel very individual. They're all like you you know where they're from. The, the Mukhtar is a Mukhtar. It looks like a Mukhtar. Again, I'm going to elaborate a little bit later. I wish they'd maybe gone into Reza a little bit more. So Killjoy is a pseudo AI. Uh, Reza is a – I might be saying the names wrong again. There wouldn't be a, <laughs> would be an Iraqi episode if I didn't mispronounce at least something. Uh, Reza is a Hakislam Mukhtar, which are in Vanilla and Rama. But they're essentially like super soldiers. They're part of their like whole super soldier uh, thing. Ish, Ish, uh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say his whole name. Ish is a lot easier to say. But his whole name is uh, Ishinomori is his actual name. So he is a chimera in a giant monster body, I guess. It is elaborated on in the book. I don't know how they intended to use the word, but uh, Mother Swagatha calls Ishimori her son multiple times. I don't know if that is from a religious standpoint, son, or if that is a, oh yeah, I actually gave birth to Ishinomori and then he ran off because they, because he did grow up on Bakunin. He is a chimera because he was essentially seeking strength and he turned himself into a big, big monster, but he essentially wants to go back, which is his like, motivation and then denma is a caledonian who uh, it doesn't again it doesn't go into it but he got taken from caledonia for some reason and he became a pit fighter on corregidor cool and then he wants to get back to see to, to hang out with this cute little kid in like winnie the pooh land i don't know if you and on the last page he actually spoiler on the last page he does actually get to go back and it looks like he's running around in the hundred acre wood <laughs> it's like this, this idyllic looking place yeah it's, it's pretty funny uh, okay, so, and then is, I think that's all the fighters. Let me see one. I think that was everybody. Right? 
Oh, and then we're also introduced to the bodyguard um, for the the guy in charge of it. Yeah, he's a he's a bit of a he's a bit of a character. The bodyguard who does so much. Bond Bondarchuk. He actually has a lot of really cool fight scenes, but like he's cool. Damn, does that guy have no characterization at all? But again, in this situation, kind of don't need to cool badass bodyguard. But, I get the feeling that he's just some stoic guy that was used to be a fighter, and now he's like a like a deer man. <laughs> I think that like it. It's part of it is the again the constant complaint of they don't set up a lot of things because they keep moving on. But they like during the fights they seem to kind of imply that like there's like a rivalry between these two uh, between Denma and whatever you said his name was the bodyguard Bondarchuk. Yeah, I'm not gonna remember that. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of these, a lot of these names are very infinity, and they so they go out of my brain really quickly. Uh, but like they, like they kind of like it felt like they're trying to make this like, oh, you know, you betrayed me, or you know that that kind of like rivalry never exists on the page, as far as I could tell. Yeah, it's it's a little strange. Uh, so yeah, that's the team that is in the story uh, again. You'll, you'll know that if you read it. So next note, Ariadna deserves a manga. What is hinted at with Denma seems very fun and very interesting. I don't think Ariadna has gotten much in the case of any of the mangas. There was the werewolf man in the Outlast, and then there's Denma in this one. But other than that, you don't get a lot of Ariadna. So it'd be kind of cool if maybe the next one... I know one of the novels is very specifically on Ariadna, so that might just be like is evenly spread it out. But it'd be really cool to see a manga of... This is what Ariadna looks like, because right now, it looks like the 100 Acre Wood. <laughs> if you just judge it by the last page. Which I don't think it's supposed to look like that. I know it's like a pair of dice or something like that with werewolf people, but it'd be really cool to kind of see Ariadna with like my, my eyeballs. All right, next note. Originally compared Denma to Zell from Final Fantasy VIII, I'm actually happy to say that he is definitely his own character. He's not just Zell from Final Fantasy VIII, if you even know who the heck that is. He looks an awful lot like him, and some of the mannerisms with how he ho- like poses and all that looks very much like Zell. Um, Zell was an interesting character in Final Fantasy VIII. He was the one character that wasn't like clinic, <laughs> wasn't like clinically depressed all the time. So he was fun. I really liked Denma a lot more. I think the chemistry be- uh, between Denma and Uhahu was probably one of the strongest parts of the book. But again, it's not really all that well elaborated on. Uh, I will say that the scene where the gunfight at the end happens, Denma actually just like instinctively bodyguards Uhahu every single time that they get into a scrap is really cool because it shows that he has a very strong sense of like loyalty to somebody who's trying to help him, uh, whether that is financially or just because, Hey, we're friends because Uhahu does help him with a few of the fights where he says, Hey, try and go for this guy's like me because it's weak because he keeps injuring it where it definitely felt like Uhahu was sort of like looking out for him. And I believe that one of his primary motivations is being a loyal person which I think, I imagine, is one of Ariadna's, like, strong suits. Like, uh, keep your family very close kind of mentality. Because it seems like all the different Ariadna sectorials are very, uh, like, very individ- individualistic. Like, the Ru- the Russians very much work with other Russians, and the United States works very much with, like, the United States, blah, 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 kind of thing. So I think it's kind of cool that he maybe feels a little, like, family with Uhahu, even though it might just be financial. Who knows? But I, for some reason, I was interpreting that Denma had a little bit more to him than just worrying about the money. All right, so yeah, next note. has a uh, Denma has a good chemistry with Uhahu, but again, not explored very well. I'm hoping maybe in a later book that that comes up later, so that would be really cool. Uh, next note, explore, explaining the heist. The art of that was probably my favorite part of the entire book. So she's explaining the heist to Denma, and in the background is this like really like childish drawing 
of her hacking into the vault where the money's being held and all that. I thought it was absolutely adorable. Uh, definitely my favorite part of the book was that scene, uh, which leads directly into Ishimori, uh, Ishimori or Ish, uh, how she's going to convince him to fight with them because he has a sense of like honor, essentially. So really cool part of the book, but probably my favorite. Yeah, the actual like hacking or like, you know, how, how things are hidden and how things move around, I think was a really good way to explain it really well. Because again, hacking in Infinity is, is such a key part of the universe and can be feel very flat. You're like, okay, can I hack this target? Can I do this thing? But explaining like, you know, the more times they show, hey, here's what the kind of like cyber universe looks like. Because as you see in a couple pages when she's actually doing the hacking, like it actually kind of has this more physical presence in the world, which... Uh, I think is always like really cool and is a very unique uh, to infinity. Again, obviously it's not the only universe that has done, you know, cyberspace is kind of a real construct, but infinity does it very, very well. And when she's stealing Kadir, uh, his money from the vault, it is very much, again, very childishly drawn. I'm curious to know if maybe that's actually what cyberspace looks like, or if that is just Uhahu's like interpretation of it. It could just be the way the artist drew it just to make it more fun. Either way, I loved it. Uh, I really would like more of that. It's really cool. All right, next. Ish was a great character concept that I would love to have seen more of. I would have really liked to have his background explored a little bit more. I love Bakunin, as you guys know. I think it'd be really cool to see it from the perspective of somebody who grew up with the Observance. So kind of had a good like support network. I mean, the Observance is probably one of the most stable parts of the ship. But he clearly fell on like hard times and something happened. What a great idea for a book, CB. But he's dead. <laughs> so he's not coming up again. Spoiler warning. Yeah, spoiler, he's dead. The Baker module has been hinted at multiple times. I would like to have some deeper lore for it. Maybe another manga or a book that goes over something specifically that involves it. Yeah, again, we already talked about that. I think I think that the betting heist storyline at the first like good chunk of the book, at least the good first like quarter of it, is well thought out and very fun. I really love low stakes stories that more establish itself in the setting as opposed to, oh, we got to stop the big bad thing from getting the big bad MacGuffin before it blows up the entire universe, which gets incredibly exhausting when it comes to the comics. As somebody who reads comics, every single storyline being a world ending event, it kind of gets old. I just like it when Spider-Man is like doing the thing where he's like, man, I can't pay rent on time. I can relate with that. Way more interesting, in my opinion. Uh, the next note, the next one, a couple strange uses of grammar in English. So you could clearly tell that this was written by a non-native English speaker. There is a few lines here and there that don't, like, I think there's only like two lines that I read where it just like grammatically didn't flow very well. Like I thought to myself, a human doesn't talk like this. This is Google Translate. I'm talking to, Go <laughs> I'm looking at what Google Translate said on this one. Uh, Kadir says... Uh, some line in here where it's just like, it just flowed like a, like a bag of bricks. Um, there was one part of the book where the text was not centered in the bubble. That's fine. Little grant, little mistakes like that are fine. Whatever. It didn't really like rip me out of the story by any means, but it, uh, was, it was definitely something I saw. I didn't notice too, too much of really awkward dialogue. Um, but I think I, some of that also chalks up to like, I sometimes think it's intentional when I'm reading those and it's like, doesn't flow very well, but that might be me being very uh, generous at, at times. So I think when you're reading it and you're not thinking about it too hard, it kind of just flows. Like, you know what he's trying to say, but here's, I found the line. It says what the fuck has happened. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Like that doesn't flow right. Like nobody talks like that. 
what the fuck has happened? You wouldn't say that. You say what the fuck just happened. You know. So it's like it's clearly like uh, if there was like a translation issue or something like that. And again, it happened like one or two places. You knew what they were trying to say, so you may not have even noticed it. But it was something that I saw because I do a lot of writing. So anyway, next next note. Raza the Whispering Death would have been a really cool way to explore the Rama super soldier stuff, but again, we don't get anything. By the way, she's dead. <laughs> Another character would have been like, oh wow, what a really cool way to explore a part of the universe. Oh, she's dead. Oh, and she gets punked. Yeah, she gets... So, Kadir puts his hand on her shoulder, and she super soldier Falcon punches him like across the room into a wall. And he's like, oh no, Bondarchuk, I need you to come and save me, brother. Help me. But, and then she just walks off. So... Again, I thought that was another missed opportunity. Even if it like just kept the character alive to be in a book later on, I would have been a little bit more happy with it. But whatever, we've got to establish stakes. So next note, the money dividing thing when after she steals the money uh, is a really great display that the author is thinking like a character in the setting. It wasn't, oh, I picked up the money and I handed it to the guy and then there was no like trace of it. Since this is all electronic, you can clearly tell that whoever, like Kenny, Victor, yeah, the Victor, the author. Victor, the author, has clearly been doing like some kind of RPGing in cyberpunk settings or something like that, or at least writes stories for it because it, it's really, really uh, good in that regard because it fe- it feels very Infinity esque. Like there's hackers doing stuff, and it makes total sense that they'd be able to track where money's going. So I thought I thought it was a really cool way to make the setting come alive in that regard. It seems very authentic. Yeah, it was it was a good it was a good plan. Like it's that weird one of I I almost wish the heist took longer. It went off too well because if this whole book was just the heist and then maybe even getting away, it probably would have flowed really well and they could have really spent the time in the air that I really liked. And it's really that second half that kind of becomes a jumbled mess. I agree. I, that was going to be one of my closing thoughts. Was I just wish the book was the heist? I think I would have really appreciated that more. But yeah, I, I agree with you completely. Next note. Really cool to see Valkyrie and Father Lucian in the setting. Not even called, they're not called out really. Uh, they're just kind of there. And it doesn't make it seem like it's really bad fan service where it's like, oh, look, it's Valkyrie, guys. You know her, the character from the game. Don't you know that? The character who is a part of the mercenary. No, they're just kind of like there. I, th- I think they say their names literally like maybe twice. And she's just like, hey, grab. I'm assuming Valkyrie's the one with the shield. Yeah, Valkyrie's the the, yeah. the Valkyrie-looking chick. And then uh, Father Lucian, he is a very good mercenary in the game. Uh, he's all, he, Everybody calls him uh, uh, Sforza. I don't think very many people call him Father Lucian. I actually fought him when Frank used him. He's, he's really good. He's got albedo and stuff. He's, he's a great character. Um, it's really cool to see him in the setting, showing why they're as good as they are in the game. It was like another good illustration of like, hey, here's the, here's why this character has this stat on the in the miniatures game. Yeah, it, it does a little bit take away, I think, um, because they are trying to cram so much in. But again, I think that is more just a the the thing we keep saying. It's it's good that they're just there. It makes it seem like the um, the setting is much more authentic. When Cassinia, that was her name. Cassinia is the chick with the eye patch and the it's a fox pelt. It's not a wolf pelt, uh, which we'll kind of get into in a second. But um, when Cassinia does the torture step thing when she's interrogating Riza, where she takes a step back and then the door slams down and she realizes that it's an airlock, I was like, that was good. That was a really, really cool scene. Fantastic. But that was super, super good as far as, I don't want to say character development per se, but it was definitely a very good display of, oh, we, we get this character. She's very no-nonsense, and she's probably tortured <laughs> she probably tortured a few people in her, in her, uh, her career. 
Yeah, I think that was a really good uh, interrogation scene. It's it's just you know sad to see the the cool Hawkinson lady just kind of go out like a punk. Um, but you, you got to wharf someone these kind of stories. So <laughs> she got wharfed. That's a good. That's definitely the wharf thing where wharf is the biggest and the strongest. So if a character knocks wharf down, oh my gosh, they must be so strong. Oh my gosh, that's a Star Trek reference. All right, so. Next note, of all the characters that make an appearance, it's got to be the muscle mommy swag of the baby. Heck yeah, brother. This character was just made. And she's already in a book. So I'm assuming that she was probably in the background somewhere even before she came out in the game. Because it seriously feels like she just came out like not that long ago. Maybe a year. But there's no way it only took a year to write this book. Or manga, whatever. Or maybe it did. I don't know. I'm not in production. They probably they probably knew that feels like one where you know the the company's all talking to each other. So there's definitely an area where reading Corvus Belly stuff is it's very clear that everyone is working with each other. Next note, I missed it on the first read through, but the AI or Dorio or however you say it was actually helping with the money being processed when it was getting split up. I completely missed that on the first round when I was reading it because you later find out that it's a Yu Jing. Uh, I guess like plot, I guess, as they're just messing with literally everybody, where the robot was trying to learn. So it was actually helping Uha who split the money up because it was curious to know what the money was doing and all that stuff. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, I, so the whole robot thing is definitely, it's, that is probably the whole separate conversation to have about this book because I feel, we'll probably wait till a little bit like later on as it kind of comes more relevant, but I feel like that is the second half of the book, the very interesting idea and probably more what they're going to be pushing as a new concept going forward. You know, the big lore reveal, so to speak, but I feel like it, it makes the book a little bit of a jumbled mess. I think it's just an unnecessary plot. Or maybe if it was like hinted at very discreetly and it was clear at the very end of the book, it was like, okay, here's a, here's the sequel. This is where this is going to go. Yes. It feels like they put a lot of the, whatever is coming next down the pipe into this book. And that really, um, create a lot of weird mess. It was just, yeah, it was just kind of unnecessary. It was, it was the whole, uh, it shouldn't have been in the limelight as much as it should have. It should have been hinted at, especially with the art, right? Cause in, a manga, you can hide things in the art and, you, and the characters don't even talk about it. In a book, that's a lot harder because you have to at least talk about it in some way, right? Otherwise, you wouldn't even know it's there. I think it probably should have been more of an artist thing. Maybe it would have been like, oh, yeah, there's like every – like in the background of some of the art, you're just like, what the heck is this thing that's like in all this thing? You know, blah, blah, blah. I think that's how that should have been handled. But Uhahu's like, look at the thing. It's doing the thing. I don't know what the – and then another character's like, there was a thing in the thing and the thing is doing this other thing. You should have just kind of ignored it. So jumping ahead, because you know, I've been doing this, and then you, your note, like two notes later, will be what I just said. But it it actually works as an ending. It works really, really well as an ending. Um, kind of like the last couple pages when you know they're finally like captured, like recaptured, and all that. And it's like, hey, here's why I've been like funding this and doing all this effort to come to get this thing back. That's really cool. Like I actually think that's a really good ending bit. And if they took five of the pages earlier that were like really going deep into this thing and setting it up and then explored relationships. That would have been a much better use of those pages because then at the end when it's like, Oh yeah. And you know, I don't care about the money. I actually care about this, this new MacGuffin thing. And you're like, Oh, what is that? That's really interesting. How you explain it's really cool. And none of the earlier bits of explanations of, you know, what they talked about it made that moment any better. 
So I, uh, I, I like how it ended. I really wish they just had all the middle bits about it. Just cut it out. Like you said, put it as background art. So what they should have done was uh, Gilbert, I think its name was, or Gibson, I'm sorry, Gibson was the little robot that, or it was her, um, I forgot, I forgot the word, but it's a little robot that follows her around. What, this should have been what happened. They're doing their thing. They're doing the heist. She's like, oh gosh, I got to get away from the thing and the gunfight, I'm running away. The Yu Jing person should have just showed up, had no warning that this person was going to show up. He's like, hey, get in the car or I'm going to blow your brains out or whatever. They get in the car and he's going to say, hey, give me the robot. And then I'll bring you to the ship that you're going to escape on. And then the very last, may, maybe keep in the Denma going back to his family thing. Maybe the art right before it, like uh, with Uhahu, like talking over it is like some kind of like little monologue where he's like, aha, I now have the robot that has the AI that has now learned the thing. And it's like an Ark of Covenant type of reveal where he like opens the, the AI of the, in the thing. It's like, oh my gosh, with this, we'll be able to do the thing that's going to be the plot in the next book. Mooha, evil laughter. And then Denma going to go see his family. That's what I think they should have done. And just, again, taking out all the stuff where they're talking about the AI. Or at least me- maybe mention it, but don't like focus on it. Yeah. That's, that's what I think they should have done. But I'm not, CB doesn't pay me. So, hey, CB, pay me. All right, so. Uh, next, next note. Bondarchuk has mind control knife hair. <laughs> uh, when is that going to be a weapon? CB reminds me of Yandu's arrow from Marvel. So he, when he's fighting, he pulls out two knives, and then his hair is also like flying knives. Was that his hair doing that? I thought he was just controlling a bunch of knives. Yeah, because I think in the art, when you look at it, you his like he has like less hair when he's fighting. I guess I I didn't really get that much, but like also I feel like that's an area where it was a little bit less clear. Uh, yeah, I think that he was just more in dynamic poses, so it was you know hiding how much uh, hair because it was more of a dynamic pose. Because if you look at the scene where he's breaking into the the observance uh, clinic thing, you could definitely tell that a lot of the spikes that are on his head, like the I guess what you call the hair that go around the ears, it all disappears. I, th- I think he no. I think he just has the knife. Like I think he just has the knives in his hair. Like I have a I have a, a panel here, and it looks like he just has like the knives like next to his like mohawk, essentially. Like again, kind of like Yandu style. Like he has them like embedded into his into his uh, scalp, so they can just come out when he when he wants them. Either way, it's really cool. Like it's a yeah. cool idea. That needs to be a weapon in the game. Uh, AP knife hair. <laughs> Take that. It'd probably be a C army weapon. It's like Vorp- maybe that's what a Vorpal blade is. Explain what the hell that is. All right, so uh, Denma brings Valkyrie into Suplex City. <laughs> it's interesting to see that Valk and Sforza are more competent fighters than the Ariesta fighters. Helps explain their stats in the universe. I, I kind of mentioned that before. Um, when you watch Denma fight people in the Aristea of, uh arenas, he pretty much just brings them to Pound Town and then they die or they or they fall down. When he fights Valkyrie and when Ish fights Sforza. They don't just win. Ish dies, and Zell really has trouble with it. But the uh, the suplex was awesome. Yeah, and this is uh, during the attack on Mother Swagatha's uh, home turf, because that's where they escape to and hide out, but they're being tracked by introduced new hacker lady, who is super hacker, never mentioned before, never brought up again, as far as I could tell. Cool character, bring her back. But, you know, they, they go they go mess with Mother Swagatha to go, to go get uh, after our heroes. And she, her little geist, when she's talking about doing hacking stuff, has the Crash Bandicoot, uh, like, voodoo mask thing. I don't know if you noticed that. So, like, I'm assuming she's supposed to be, like, ancestrally 
I don't know, maybe like Haitian or something like that. Haitian or from DR or something like that. Maybe. Uh, you, it, it certainly got that impression. I thought it was an interesting little bit that they just added in. Uh, next, fun to see the moderators doing their jobs as cops instead of being army cheerleaders. Uh, moderators are the cheap unit in Bakunin that they're like, you know, they're ridiculously cheap. They're usually the lieutenant kind of thing. Uh, for you, they'd be, you know, whatever your line troopers are. But the moderators are supposed to be cops on the mothership, and it was really cool to see them do that. The same goes for the security uh, for Tunguska. Because one of the, one of the I don't want to say it's the main character, but one of the supporting characters is a Securitat officer. Fun to see Outlast reference to give the book a sense of continuity. Uh, at the end of the story, Uhahu reaches out to Emily, who was the, uh, her last name's Handler, which is a bit of a, bit of a pun. Uh, she obviously reaches out because they became friends by the end of the book. So it was fun to see her. It was, it was fun to see like the continuity of the books. It's like, okay, Outlast happens before this book and she now knows who's Emily, who Emily is. So it was cool to see like, oh, hey, look at that. That's a character. That's a reference to another book. So you kind of get something a little extra out of it if you've read the book. So to me, I got something more out of it than, like, let's say Brady, because he doesn't even know who Emily is because he didn't read the book. Nope, I'm ignorant. Seven Gelly. So I thought Seven Gelly was super cool. Uh, it was the robot uh, multi-man thing that was going on at the fancy club at the end of the book. Uh, I thought it was a super cool design. It reminds me of Delamain from Cyberpunk, who is the AI from the taxi service, where he's just like a like a super generic face. It gave me, it just kind of gave me those vibes. I thought it was super cool. Yeah, I, I really like how it's always you know Infinity is the there is only Aleph as our AI, except for all these other AIs that are running around, but they all have to stay really like kind of underground and not stick their head up too much. Are they going to get obliterated? And I think that's a really like you know that's a lot of playground you can play in again, especially with like this this new MacGuffin robot that Eugene wants, and it's that idea of like hey we're gonna play around with maybe creating this like AI these like smaller contained AIs to rival Aleph, but we can't really make an alif because that would cause a lot of problems and the word they used to describe him was a clandestine which i had never seen before so in the setting i guess if you're a ai that's not attached to alif directly you're called a clandestine i don't know interesting i get a piece of cool like bit of lore that i'd like to have come up more than once Uh, all right last note Ending was very sudden, but I appreciate the hopeful nature of it. I'm excited to see all these characters again, if they're still alive, that is. Even, honestly, I could even do with a book for some of the characters that did die, just to give some backstory. I think that'd be cool. Yeah, a lot of them were really cool. A few notes that I have that we didn't really kind of bring up. I'm not sure who Miss Miranda is. I'm assuming she's a model, or like has been an existing character. She, she is a bounty hunter for a lot of the vanilla factions. That was weird. <laughs> Because that was probably like that section, and especially her was probably was probably like I read this and I went like, someone's got to like has has a boner for this character because this is the like least impactful thing that shows up and takes a lot of page space. Like getting introduced to her essentially is an entire page, and then she shows up and literally does nothing. Literally, and that's part of the joke is that she shows up and it's like, oh, everything's already going down. Okay. But that's still another half page. Like, there's a, and again, she doesn't 
solve any of the problem. The problem solves itself, and then she just leaves. She's like, oh, I guess I'm not getting paid, and flips him off and leaves. And so that re- like that area felt really weird. And and that was also tied in again with the that middle section where the Eugene were like, oh, we need to go get her. We're really involved. It's like you could cut that out and just have them show up at the end. Like that that foreshadowing may like kind of primed me for like more depth. And then, like the, you get to the ending, it's like, oh, I, I got all that emotional payoff. I didn't need the, the setup that he he cared because he also then explained his reasoning to uh, Uhahu at the end anyway. So it wasn't even like there, that information was being kept secret from Uhahu. They he just explained it. <laughs> he walked up and said, "Hey, here's here's why I'm doing all the things I'm doing." And his explanation for it was kind of like, "Eh, he's like, yeah, when people play Mayong, uh, you want to be able to debate it afterwards." It's like. Like, that's what we call loose ends. <laughs> it's like, why are you explaining everything to her? I don't know. It was. I, I actually didn't. I didn't mind that. Again, I really liked the ending itself. It's just getting there got a little uh, after the heist got a little, um, got a little muddy. And if if they took and again, I w- and I wouldn't have complained again if this book was 10, 20 pages longer and we got all that other bits of depth we wanted. I wouldn't have complained about it. But, you know, it's one of those ones if, you know, I don't know how many pages this book ended up. Let's say, you know, let's say it's 60 pages. I don't know how much it actually is. But when when you only have, let, again, let's say 50, 50 pages or so, you really got to make every single piece of that page space count. And it, I think what we're really railing against is those parts that you really do feel you're like, wow, that didn't need to be there that's five percent of the book that like kind of wasn't very useful and then the only other thing i'll say in the book itself at the back of it they go over like character concepts and all that stuff um originally uh Kasinya was supposed to be a kitsune chimera so she was supposed to be like a fox person but they decided against it and that's why she has a fox on her shoulder it's not a wolf so if anyone that and she's the model so if you paint it it's, it's supposed to be a fox, not a, not a wolf, if that determines how you paint it, which I thought was a neat little insider piece. Yeah, anything before closing thoughts? I always like in universes with, like, you know, quote-unquote multi-death systems, like Infinity with your, with your cube. I like when people really do, like, play with that acknowledge it as part of just the universe and it's like yeah whatever shoot me if that makes you if that makes you feel good shoot me i guess i'll just cube out somewhere else that's that's not really like it's annoying i guess but i I really like when when universes acknowledge that and like don't shy away from that idea you know i I think the best example of that is destiny does it really really well of just like no your person's immortal everyone knows it you do you do stupid shit because you're immortal and you know like the whole sport only works because they're Probably a lot of them are either cubed or can, you know, people can heal them up pretty effectively uh, unless they really get messed up. And I like when sci-fi universes don't shy away from that idea that like, hey, we our tech is at these levels and it, it creates a nice feel. It also creates an interesting feel for when you play your games of infinity. If you're like, okay, well, most of my people are cubed. So yeah, it makes sense why they can just sprint out and go do something really risky because you know what? If you're good enough and you die, you'll get brought back. So you, you don't have to, you know, always have to justify why, you know, your named character keeps showing back up. It's like, yeah, they, they did die in, in your last several games because you're bad and, and you and you walked them out into the open. But they just keep coming back because lore-wise, they're a little bit better than you are. And they're also now a robot person. Good old L-host. So I was just trying to look it up. I remember that there's some members of Hakaslam that don't use cubes. I know Janissaries at least apply to that. I just tried to check to see if the Mukhtars did. So I don't know if 
the Mukhtar can come back. She might just be dead. <laughs> she might just be dead. So we'll see. I don't know about that. Well, and I know cubing is fairly expensive in the Infinity Universe, so I don't think a lot of like street fighters are going to have them. But it would make more sense if you are a, you know, you didn't work your way up and you're like, you've been doing it for, you know, you're, you're the Tom Brady of this sport. You're like, yeah, I have a cube now so I can get shot in the face and then come back next week and do it again. Like the best of the best probably get start, you know, getting cubed or whatever so they can be even more violent and even more risky because they don't have to worry about getting healed afterwards. Um, it's, again, I just I just like that Infinity doesn't shy away from the unique parts of its sci-fi universe. Um, and, they're, and they are always really present. And, you know, again, I read a lot of GW. Um, and they can sometimes feel really sporadic. Like it feels like, hey, this person wrote it, wrote a book over here and someone else wrote a book over here and they didn't really talk to each other. Every piece of writing I've seen from Infinity you know, whether it's well-written or not is is a separate conversation, but it feels like a very cohesive world. It feels like everyone is in the same office talking to each other. And this book, especially, you know, again, compare, you know, uh, betrayal and outlast and, uh, they, they feel like they're in a cohesive universe. Um, even if they, even though they're taking place in dramatically different areas. Yeah. That's a good way to sum it up. I would say in closing thoughts, I really enjoyed the book. I'm glad I read it. I don't regret it. I I really love the character designs. I love the art. I like the characters. I don't think there was a character I really didn't like. I think the biggest thing I could say is that I just kind of wanted more. Where it felt like I wanted a Coke, but I got a Diet Coke. Yeah. It just felt like I was missing something. And I think a lot of the backstory could use some embellishment, I think. Definitely some some glow ups, I guess probably a good way to put it. I'm hoping that this book is a prequel to whatever's coming next. I think it'll be cool. I'll buy it. Even if it's bad, we'll probably talk about it. And yeah, I'm, I'm happy with it. The art alone is worth it to me. And yeah, if you, if you listen to all of this and you're still haven't read it, I would say you should probably consider reading it. I think the journey was good, but I do agree if it was just a heist with a maybe insidious underplot that only revealed itself fully at the very end, I think it would have been fine. But until then, it, we, it is what we got. I would have preferred a heist book. It wasn't. It's fine the way it is, and you just enjoy what you got. I I, I think you I think you I think we're in such a strong agreement. I can I can't really add much more to that. Um, it is worth picking up. I do hope they make another one. Um, I, I hope they just start producing more uh, of, of this manga style even faster because I think Betrayal was the, again was the last one and it was two years ago. Uh, yeah, if not, maybe longer. So make make more. Um, and again, if you guys like this, I, I know we we both have plans to try to pick up some of the actual novels and reading those, and maybe that will finally satiate our like that thing we keep saying of damn, I just want more of it. There they just didn't put enough in. It's like okay, here's a novel. It's two hundred pages. Read it. And I think that just the universe, there's a lot of room to be explored right now. I think it's a very open market. Like even if there were other writers, like, I don't know. I know CB is very controlled with what they let be official lore. So I don't, I think that's why there's such a limited pool of art of uh, authors because they have such tight control of it. It's not a bad thing to have control of your IP, but people want more. Just get it out. Find find a group of writers you trust, and just pump out some lore. It'd be I think it'd be good for everybody. 
they they could probably grab you know uh, an Aaron Dembski Bowden or some of the other ones from from some GW from the Horus Heresy series. Now that that's finally wrapping up after like seventy books, is it? Dude, the the Siege of Terra was only supposed to be like four books or whatever. I think they're coming up on ten now. <laughs> but like those authors are going to be finishing up some really really long running stuff. I think there's some yeah. um, Dan Abnett being another good good one. I think they could. I think they could poach. Uh, you know, I would I would love I would love it so much because I like those both those writers a lot. So it'd be it'd be great to see them come over to the Infinity Fold and really kind of stretch their legs and not just write bolter porn. All right, Brady. Well, I think we did it. I think we talked about a book. What a bunch of nerds. Yeah. Uh, our recording software all decided to be like, you know what? You guys talked about nerd shit long enough. Let's crash. Uh, so we're, we're recording the outro. So if it gets a little bit weird, <laughs> a weird, weird time jump, don't worry about it. We know. We both like the book. Go buy the book. Support CB. Or yeah, there is no or don't. Just, just please respect CB. Give them money. Uh, and of course, I'm Dr. D. You can find me at Dr. D on Discord. Or at furypainting at gmail.com. I'm Brady T. You can find me at Discord at Brady T. Leave us five-star reviews, buy our merch, you know, tell all your friends about Arachne. I, I heard some people, I, I saw some stall writing in the bathrooms. Uh, keep doing that. Just just keep, you know, spreading the uh, Arachne, uh, the webs, the, the Arachne webs. It slowly spreads, much like something else you don't want in your life. And we'd also like to thank all the people in the background that help keep the podcast running. Of course, Kara for helping edit all the episodes and Tim for running the network. So, Arachnites, we got to come up with a thing. Hey, Arachnids, thanks for listening, Nomads. Make sure you keep it popping out there and don't let Ailey get you. It's never too late to embrace the evolved intelligence. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this show, check out all the other great shows here at the Professional Casual Network. Like what, Danny? I'll tell you. On Mondays, we've got the Lost Omens podcast, our Pathfinder 2E actual play, hosted by me, playing through the Extinction Curse AP. Also, streaming on twitch.tv slash professional casual network at 7 p.m. Eastern time, you can check out, oh yeah, the Power Phase, our Marvel Crisis Protocol live battle report show. On Tuesdays, the podcast version of Wait, Did I Roll a Wild? Our Marvel Crisis Protocol vlog is available. On Wednesdays, alternating releases on the Patreon, we have Settling the Southlands, our homebrew Wolforp actual play, and The Slithering, a Pathfinder 2nd edition actual play. And on Thursdays, live at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on twitch.tv slash professional casual network, we've got, wait, did I roll a wild, our Marvel Crisis Protocol povlog. You can also check out back episodes of Elite Eight Showdown and the first 39 episodes of the Lost Omens podcast, the first 24 episodes of Settling the Southlands, and the first handful of episodes of The Slithering on the YouTube at youtube.com slash the professional casual.